Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoyed the message. It's great to see you. Um, it's good to gather together on this Lord's Day, another one, and uh, to worship Him. And uh, welcome back to 40 Days of Prayer. This is the sixth Sunday together in this spiritual growth uh, campaign, and I'm glad you're still on the journey. I have noticed uh, that my, uh, uh, my frequency, my consistency, my intensity, uh, and intentionality uh, in my own prayer life has increased across these last six weeks. I, ho- I hope that's been the same for you as we've studied together. Uh, in these services, uh, in your life group sessions, in your uh, daily devotions that we're reading through together across these days, and um, pray that it will uh, that it'll continue. So we're going to go right back to work today. So if you have your workbook, turn to the sermon notes page of uh, for week number six. If not, use your bulletin. We've got a blank page in there for you to grab a few notes, and and we'll uh, we'll jump in. You know, we are. Uh, once again, trying to think of the right word for this, here's an understatement. We are living in uncomfortable days, are we not? Uncomfortable days. Uh, now, there's much good going on in our country. There's, there's a lot of good going on. Generally speaking, the economy is good. Um, uh, unemployment rate is, is down. Um, you know, some of us, uh, brothers and sisters, are suffering, and, and there's still a ton of people who don't have all that they need. But there's a lot of good going on in the country. But man, while we might be in some uh, material prosperity, we are in moral poverty. We're in trouble. Uh, once, once again, now this is not new, but it seems to be intense uh, again. I mean, let's just talk about this week. Uh, pipe bombs in the mail. Uh, those of us who lived through the days of the Unabomber think, oh, no, oh boy, here we go again. Um, the horrible happenings at the synagogue in Pittsburgh yesterday. Uh, this is uh, the, the shooting up of places of worship, regardless of the, the faith, is, is a, a mark of evil. Um, the opioid epidemic, we've got hatred, we've got conflicts, we've got calls for, now not just incivility, but we've got calls for being losing all civility in our relationships with each other. Um, we, in fact, uh, you know, it's, it's elections coming up in a few days, and uh, I want to compliment both candidates for governor in the state of Georgia, the good job they've done. They've done such a good job uh, of uh, slandering each other's reputation that they've, they've thoroughly convinced me neither one of them should be governor. So, I, boy, I'm impressed with their communication skills because I'm looking for somebody to write in. I'm thinking about Bill uh, McBride for governor. I would feel a little better, Bill, if you would. Just step on up. And, um, but my help, my soul, uh, a few months ago, one writer for a national publication wrote these words, America needs a national healing, a national healing. Now our church, uh, Dogwood church is part of the largest 
organization that has ever existed in the history of the world. Uh, we are multinational. We've got uh, branch locations on every continent, in every country, and almost every community in the world. It's called the church. And it is the largest organization in the world. Over 2 billion uh, people belong to it. And, um, and we are everywhere. And so our church, we're not just interested in what happens in the United States of America. Dogwood's not. But God did, in His sovereignty... At this point in history, he created this branch location of his church, uh, tucked it away on this side of the west side of Fayette County, Atlanta suburbs, at this time in history to serve his purposes. So we can't help but see the world from here, right? I mean, we see this is the center of the universe for us. Uh, we see it from here. But now our church, uh, we, are, we literally are, this congregation is a multinational uh, congregation. We've got people who are mem- brothers and sisters who are members of Dogwood Church uh, from, who were born in somewhere around, I can't remember, 60 to 70 different countries. Can, do you know that? It's amazing. Just uh, tons of us. So we, we care about God's, the well-being of, huma- of human beings in all countries. And uh, because for many of us, we see faces with names on them in those countries, people we love, people we care about, people we know, family members, other brothers and sisters in Christ who, in, in other nations. Um, so we, we would pray for God's healing to come to all, all nations. We need healing in our culture here. We need healing in our cities. We need healing in our communities. We need healing in our neighborhoods. We need healing in our, uh, in our extended families in our corporations, in our universities, in all the organizations that you can imagine. We need healing and restoration. And, uh, and I'm going to, in this journey of prayer together, I want us to go to a passage of Scripture that teaches how we are to pray for these kinds of things. Uh, the great theologian Karl Barth wrote these words, To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. And so we're going to pray. Now our society, the good news is, is our our sick culture, our sick society can be healed if God's people will pray the way He uh, defined uh, and and, uh, instructed us in a very familiar passage to some of us, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. So if you've got a copy of the Scriptures, uh, turn on a digital copy if you've got that. Open your hard copy of the Scriptures. Way back over in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Covenant, uh, First Chronicles chapter, I mean, Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7. Chapter 7, we find um, these words. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, this passage is found in the story of King Solomon, the son of King David about 3,000 years ago or so uh, in the ancient nation of Israel around the time of the build, the completion of the construction of the temple at uh, Jerusalem. Now Solomon was appointed king by his father David, King David, uh, just before David's 
death. And he prayed for wisdom uh, for, from God to rule the nation according to God's ways. And God answered his prayer. And he prospered him in a lot of ways. In chapter 2 of the book of Second Chronicles, Solomon gave the orders to begin the construction of the temple at Jerusalem for the worship of, of God. And it was constructed, it was furnished beautifully, uh, and then there, and upon its completion, there was a two-week-long festival of worship and dedication of the temple. And God appeared magnificently, somewhat miraculously, at that worship gathering. And then later, after it was done, about two weeks after this big worship festival, <coughs> excuse me, God appeared to Solomon a second time to tell him that he was very pleased with Solomon and the people of God. And then right in the middle of those compliments from God, God said something prophetic. Um, uh, it almost seems out of place. In verse 13 of chapter 7, God said to Solomon, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. As you read that, you say, wait a minute, what? I mean, if, if he's going to do this and he's pleased with them, what would he do if he was not pleased with them? Well, what he was doing was saying, the day's going to come in the future when my people are going to forget me. They're going to intentionally forget me and my ways, turn inward, turn selfish, turn self uh, uh, righteous and and leave my ways, and it's going to be a problem. But I'm going to do some things to get their attention. And he describes these things in verse 13. Then he said, if my people, when that happens, when the culture is in trouble, when the nation is spiritually and morally sick and self-destructive, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, this has been God's pattern of renewal, God's pattern of revival, God's pattern of spiritual awakening, not only of spiritual awakening, but of renewing and redeeming cultures, countries, communities, down through history. Now, I don't have time to, to give you any of those historical accounts today, but he, he has done this so frequently in this way that uh, there have been many, many volumes written on God's activity uh, from those times all the way up until uh, even uh, two great awakenings in the, in the history of our own nation. I'd encourage you to read those. But this is still his way. This is still his recipe. And so I want to teach you this morning how to join me in an ongoing lifestyle way of praying for healing and restoration of your extended family, of your neighborhood, of this city, of this state, of this nation, and the nations of the world as we're learning uh, to pray. Yeah. I guess I'm asking you to join me in trying to save the world. You say, oh, well, good grief, Pastor. That sounds grandiose. Well, it does, doesn't it? But I'm still asking you. It seems to me that this is the way to save the world through the work of Jesus. And so take a look at that verse. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Our, our, our community, our culture can, 
experience healing and restoration if we pray this way. Now, there's some things to notice here. He says, first of all, if my people who are called by my name, by my name, God here is addressing uh, me, you and me. He's addressing his people. He's not speaking to unbelieving outsiders. He's not uh, speaking to um, uh, the naturalists or the secularists. He's not speaking to those who are in open rebellion against God. He's not speaking to genuine American pagans. He's speaking to you and me. He's speaking to the followers of Jesus, Christians, the church, all people who carry his mark of ownership who are called by my name, the people who are known to be my followers, followers of Jesus. And so i got to ask you a question. Uh, Are you called by the name of Jesus? I mean, do people who are not followers of Jesus, do they readily recognize, oh, he or she, they're, they're, they're the real deal. Now, I don't believe what they believe, but boy, they do. And they're, they're the real deal, they're, they're earnest, they're genuine, uh, and uh, uh, they're, they're, they're followers of, of Jesus. And I, I respect them even though I don't believe any of that stuff they believe. Is that you? You're not like the kid that was in my youth group in Texas when, after he went away his first semester of college and he came home. I said, how'd it go? And he said, it's really good. Nobody in my dorm found out I was a Christian. I said, okay, we blew it there. I mean, it just, just by acknowledging I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying be a religious nut. There are plenty of those out there. I'm just saying, I, I'm, you just, I identify with Jesus. I, I, I follow Jesus. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. You show your colors early. But he said, if those people, my people called by my name, and then he gives a premise to the promise. And there are four premises to this promise. And I want you to write these down because this is what I'm asking you to do as a lifestyle, to join me as a lifestyle. And it is this. First of all, the conditions for healing and restoration is, number one, we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. So what does that mean, Pastor? Well, I mean, we admit that we are not God and we stop acting like it. And we confess we stop acting like we have no need of God and we begin to admit to Him that we do need Him and we gladly, consistently, and intentionally submit ourselves to His rule and authority in our lives. We humble ourselves before God. I admit I'm not in control. He says in that verse, if my people will humble themselves. So you see, humility is the first step to healing. Uh, we don't approach God arrogantly. We don't approach God proudly or flippantly or disrespectfully. We don't make demands of God in prayer. God is not my genie. He is not my, uh, my servant. I have no claim. I have no claim on God. God does not owe me. He does not owe you. He is God. I am not. He is God. You are God. I am not. I serve you. You don't serve me. We humble ourselves before God. Now, us individualistic, independent, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, uh, self-sufficient Americans, that's that's one of the, that's called, that's not called Christianity, that's called Americanism. They're not the same thing, you know. Americanism is the fourth great religion in the world and we don't need to follow it. You say, what do you mean? You don't love America? Of course I love America. But don't be 
deceived in thinking that Americanism, which says it's all these values that are not the according to the will and the ways of God. Uh, so rather than being independent, we say, I am dependent upon you, God. I'm dependent upon you. We humble ourselves before God. Now, so are you saying, Pastor, should I pray for humility? No. It doesn't say pray for humility. It says humble yourself. Humility is not something that's done to me. It's not something that's done to you. It is something we do to ourselves. Humility is not a prayer. Humility is a choice. We choose this. And humility is a big deal to God. Here's how he responds to a humble heart. In Psalm 25 verse 9, God leads the humble and he teaches them his will. In Isaiah 66 2, uh, God says, I will bless those who have a humble and contrite heart. In James chapter 4 verse 6, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Those of us who come to him and say, I need you. I'm owned and operated by you. So first of all, uh, we humble ourselves. And second, jot this down, we pray. We pray. In other words, we ask God for help. That verse says, if my people will pray. Now, this is in the present tense, um, continuous action kind of uh, uh verb here that means it's an action that starts in the present and continues on into the future. It's not that I humble myself one time. I humble myself and keep on. I live a lifestyle of humbling myself before God, consistently humbling myself before God. It's not just that I pray one time. I pray and keep on praying. I pray and keep on praying. So, well, pastor, what should we pray? Well, this is such a big deal that we're taking seven weeks. Draw a big circle around everything that you are learning, everything that we're teaching, everything that you're reading, uh, everything that you're hearing from God about prayer over these seven weeks, and do that. And just keep on doing that and never stop doing that. Pray about all the things and in all the ways that we are learning from God's Word about what we are to pray for, who we are to pray for, in what spirit we are to pray, and how to go about it. Pray all the time. You see, uh, we are to pray. We aren't waiting on God. He's waiting on us to pray. Waiting on us. Listen to this, Ephesians six eighteen. Pray in the Spirit at all times. With all kinds of prayers, asking for all you need, do this to do this, you must always be ready and never give up. Always pray for all God's people. He says all a lot in that always all pray, just pray all the time. And so um, we pray and keep on praying. Now, in the context of what we're talking about today, in addition to you praying for your own personal needs, praying for the needs of other people, uh, praying prayers of praise and thanksgiving, praying prayers of confession of your own sin, include praying prayers that God will help us as a community, as a state, as a society, as a culture, as a world with what seem to be to us insurmountable, unsolvable problems. We pray to Him, it's pretty obvious that, that these are beyond us or we would have solved them by now. The hatred, the discord, the violence, the whole, the whole thing. Lord, so spend some of your time praying strategically for God's help and intervention 
in these big picture issues. We pray, so we humble ourselves before God and keep on humbling ourselves. We pray for God's help and keep on praying. And then number three, we do this. We pursue God. We pursue God. This means we seek God. We seek to know Him. Now, we, so who is God? We believe Jesus is God. Christians believe Jesus is God. We pursue Jesus to know Him, to love Him, to enjoy Him, to understand Him, to follow Him, to obey Him. We want to get to know Him better and better and better and better and enjoy Him more and more and more and more and love Him more and more and more and more and be used by Him to a greater extent. We seek Jesus, we seek a relationship with God as the highest priority of our life. This speaks not of just one thing among many. It speaks of the priority of our life, the reason we exist. The great Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to know God and enjoy Him forever. Do that. Do that. To know Jesus and enjoy Him forever. Move that up the scale to the highest priority of your life and let that love reorder all of your other loves. You can't love anyone else or any other thing rightly until you love and know Jesus rightly. But when we elevate Him to the highest love, He reorders everything rightly in our lives so that we, yes, we do love other people and issues, but we do them rightly from the right perspective and and in the right way that also pleases and honors Him. We pursue God. Now, we pursue Him not necessarily a miracle. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, he says, If my people will seek my face. Now, I've given you this illustration before. I I don't have a better one. Uh, This happened with my two daughters when they were little children. It's now happening with my two young grandchildren. Now, I am a classic American male, which means I can only do one thing at a time if I can do that at all. Now, I know a lot of you guys here, you got, you got all kind of gizmos, and me too. i got smartphones and smart computers and smart TV. I'm just not smart. You're probably not much. And so we can, I called a guy the other day, and, and he said, what you doing? He said, man, I'm multitasking. And I, I didn't say it out loud, but I will. And I thought, no, you're not. You're an American male. You're doing one thing at a time. And if I do, I mean, that's just all I can do. And I lock in on it. Now, I might be uh, watching the news or watching a ball game. And my daughters would come in, little bitty girls. And they'd stand by my chair and they'd put their hand on my arm. And I'm watching the game. And they'd say, Daddy, 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 Daddy. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. daddy. And I'm locked in. Uh, ladies, in, do you have any husbands that are in? Come on. I'm, don't leave me hanging up here. Am I the only one? Hey, thank you. Okay. And so uh, they would they would practice this. You know, they'd just crawl up in my lap and they'd put their hands on both sides of my face and they would turn it. And they'd say, Daddy, so-and-so, you know, whatever they wanted to tell me. Now my grandchildren are doing that. They would seek my face, which meant my full attention and closeness and communication. He says... If my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face, seek up close and personal with God, seek my face, we are to pursue Him. Now, no one ever lapsed into closeness to Jesus. 
No one ever got there by accident. It is always on purpose. And, and God blesses those who seek Him. Listen to this, Pro, uh, Proverbs eight seventeen. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. In Hebrews eleven six, he says, God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Not earnestly seek Him, not casual, not part-time, uh, not a low priority, not just one of many pursuits. But I guess what I'm trying to say to you is what I've been trying to say for 32 years here uh, together. Uh, stop making God your hobby. God will not be your hobby. He will be your God. He will be your Lord. He will not be your hobby. It's pretty much all or nothing with Him. All or nothing with Him. Don't make God your hobby. Make Him your magnificent obsession. Your magnificent obsession. And so He wants us to seek Him. Now, He, um, he says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Beginning in verse 29, if you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him. If you look for Him with all your heart and all your soul, when you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, you will return to the Lord your God and obey Him, for He is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you. Seek God. Here's, what we, here's how we're to pray. Here's how we're to live. Humble ourselves before Jesus and keep on doing so. Pray and keep on praying. Never cease. Seek His face and never stop seeking to, to know, love, and serve Him better. Highest priority of our life. Intimacy with God is the highest priority of our life. And then number four, write this down, we repent. We, God's people, followers of Jesus... We repent and keep on repenting. They say, repent. Repent is the most positive word in the Bible. It, turns, it means to turn from something bad to something good. It means to turn from darkness to light. It means to, to turn from death to eternal life. It means to turn to blessing and joy. It, repent is a positive, positive word. He says in that verse, if my people turn from their wicked ways. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's say wicked I'm not wicked. Well, let's define it. Now, we tend to think of wickedness like all the things we've seen on the news the last few days. What happened in Pittsburgh yesterday? What happened with the mail bombs? This, I mean, we, some of those things. And that is wicked. But that's not the beginning of wickedness. Wickedness is defined by God as forgetting Him. That's where wickedness starts. Ouch. He gets to define by forgetting Him. Just forgetting Him and living as if we had no need of Him. Uh, just kind of, oh yeah, I forgot you, God. Wickedness. Wickedness is terribly destructive. And we, the old, the, old, uh, the old hymn, you'll remember the words of the old hymn about us? It's a hymn to God where we're singing to God. And the writer of the hymn said, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Prone to wander. Prone, you and I, are we have a, a gravitational pull to forget God and wander away from Him. It's called wickedness. And it puts us in trouble uh, right away. So he said, let's turn from that. If my people turn from forgetting about me... Let's not forget about me, he says, and, and then turn. What does that, what does that mean? 
uh, well, as I said, it means to repent. It means to bring back, not just to turn away from what is bad, but to turn to God and what is uh, what is good? It comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means to change your mind. We change our mind about ourselves and our self-sufficiency and our self-righteousness and our sin. And we change our mind about Jesus and following Him. But it means a change of mind that results in a change of direction. A change of uh, direction. Listen to this, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing, there's the healing, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Not, Not just to you individually, but to families and extended families and neighborhoods and cities and states and cultures. Proverbs 28, 13 says, If you hide your sins... You will not succeed. But if you confess and reject them, you will receive mercy. You'll receive mercy. So, we, God's people, who are called by His name, the Lord Jesus, if we humble ourselves before God and keep on humbling ourselves, pray and keep on praying, seek God's face and seek intimacy with Him is the highest priority of our life, and keep on doing so is a lifestyle, and live a life of continual repentance. As He brings to light, as we walk with Him, He keeps shining the searchlight of His Holy Spirit in our hearts and saying, they see this over here, this stinks, let's clean up this room. Okay, Lord. And we repent, we change, we turn from, from darkness to light. And, and take a, live a little longer. And he says, now let's, let's talk about your attitude here. Oh, yep, Lord, okay. I, it's a life of continuous repentance with him. He says, if you, my people, on a widespread basis do these things, he gives a promise. Look at that verse. I will hear from heaven, forgive your sins, and heal your land. Heal your land. Once again, Karl Barth said, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. I'm asking you to do this as a lifestyle. Imagine with me if the more than 2 billion Christians in the world who say, I believe in Jesus and I follow Him, if we begin to live this way. How about if just the 1,500 people who are going to be on our campus this morning do this as a lifestyle? We need the work of God's Spirit in us to enable us to do this. And so I'm asking you to make that commitment. Some of you who are not yet believers would say, well, Pastor, I would like to be a part of the solution rather than a part of the problem. How do I get in on praying for healing and restoration? Well, it all begins by becoming a Christian. It all begins by becoming one of the persons called by the name of Jesus. And here's how you do that. You see, in Jesus Christ, God the Father did something for you and me we could not do for ourselves. He left heaven, came to earth in the form of a man. Jesus is God. Lived a sinless life and yet went innocently to the cross in our place because of us. And while He was on that cross, He had arranged to take upon Himself on his body, in his body, the the sin of all human beings, credited to his account and make full payment for it, atoned for it so that we would not have to. 
And then he rose from the dead three days later, proving that he could do what he claimed to do. That he defeated death, hell, sin, and the grave. And he's alive today to offer to any one of us who say to him, I am a sinful person who needs a Savior. Will you, Lord Jesus, apply to me what you did when you died on the cross and rose from the dead? Now, some of you are ready to do that. Some of you got it. And you say, not only now do I understand Jesus, but I need Jesus and I want, to, I want him to save me. Well, if that's you and you Repent of your sin and place your active trust in Him and to surrender to Him as the God of your life, then He is going to transform you by His amazing grace. He's going to forgive your sin. He's going to give you His Holy Spirit to to dwell in you. You get to live under His care and supervision in this life. He's going to give you His gift of eternal life. He's going to do all that. And so some of you are ready to do so. And if you are, I want you to pray with me right now. So let's pray. Everybody all over this room. And if you'd like to, I'm going to lead you in a prayer to become a follower of Jesus. Now, there's nothing magical about these words. God's more concerned with the attitude of your heart than He is the words of your mouth. But if these words express the attitude of your heart, you pray them from your heart to the Lord Jesus after me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I now turn from my sin in self-righteousness. And I open the door of my life and ask you to come in as my Savior and Lord. Forgive my sin. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for giving me eternal life. Now, to the best of my understanding, I give you control of my life in eternity. Make me the kind of person you want me to be, and I will serve you as you give me strength for the rest of my life. Lord, thank you for hearing these prayers. Now, there's one more thing. Once we repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus, He commands us to go public with our faith, to confess Him openly before men. He says in Matthew chapter 10, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus even instituted the method for us to go public with our faith. It's called baptism. Believer's baptism, Christian uh, baptism. And we're prepared to help you celebrate your Christian baptism uh, today. As we speak, the men and women on our baptism team are at our baptism area and uh, waiting for you. And we have everything you need to celebrate your baptism today. We have changes of clothes. We have uh, towels. We have a changing area. And our team members there to assist you. Uh, I think two or three adults uh, were baptized after the 915 service, just before this one started this morning. Happens every week. So when this service is over, you walk right out these doors, across the lobby, out onto the patio, and turn to your right. And you'll find yourself in our baptism area. Find one of our team members there and tell them, I I want to be baptized, and uh, we will celebrate with you. So let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for making a way for us not only to uh, pray about our own needs, but also to, uh, to pray for your kingdom come and your will to be done on earth 
in our communities, in our cities, in our culture, in this world to bring blessing and healing to mankind. But now, Lord, we pray that even more so than the healing and the blessing, we pray that we would want you more than any other thing. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword Dogwood to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.